This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Michael Connolly, welcome to Better Reading. Thanks for having me on. It really is a bit of a privilege to have you. Well, it's a big privilege. I was telling a friend last night that you're coming in who uh, lives in Ireland at the moment, and he said, please say hi to Michael. Oh, well, that's nice of him. Yeah, so uh, hi from say Russell. Say hi back. <laughs> I will. Okay. You've got fans all over the world. Um, now, I'm going to introduce you, but uh, I don't know. I'm sure you don't need any introduction, but he goes. A former police reporter for the Los Angeles Times, Michael Connolly is the international best-selling author of the Harry Bosch thriller series and the legal thriller series featuring Mickey Haler, as well as several standalone bestsellers. Michael has written 33 novels and one work of non-fiction. His books have sold more than 74 million copies worldwide. Wow. Is that kind of every reader on the planet, just um, about? No, but I'm working on that. <laughs> You're working on that. Oh, good. I'm glad you've got a target. They have been translated into 40 languages and have won awards all over the world, including the Edgar and Anthony Awards. Michael has also been awarded the 2018 CWA Diamond Dagger, the highest honour in British crime writing. Michael is also executive producer of the t- successful TV series Bosch, Congratulations. I'm Thanks. enjoying that very much. Oh, good. Based on his best-selling character, Harry Bosch, he's also the creator and host of a true crime podcast, Murder Book, which I've only just downloaded, which premiered in early 2019. Michael spends his time in California and Florida. Um, wow, what a body of work. Do you think there really are 40 different languages? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Know. There I, must I, be. I, I see that on the... Uh, the and page that goes it. out with me, but mm. it's surprising to me. Do you know, sometimes that's a good point, and it is surprising because when I read your crime books, particularly um, the ones, well, they're almost all set in LA, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They have such a sense of place, right? That there's no mistaking that that is the landscape and that's where you are. And Sometimes I wonder, does that translate like in Hindu, for instance? I wonder that, too, because I don't speak all these languages, and so I'm kind of at a loss. Um, You know, I could try to find friends that speak different languages, and I've done that with some of, like, France, for example. My uh, agent in New York uh, grew up in France and is, you know, speaks it fluently. So with him, I was always safe. He said, yeah, you're getting a great translation. Yeah. But what about the other 39 <laughs> languages? That yeah. I really don't have, um, you know, a chance to uh, see if they're getting the nuances of, of the mm-hmm. writing. You got It's a lot of trust involved. Yeah, yeah, and, and translators, um, I think, come in all shapes and sizes, so you need a good one. I want to talk about how it all started because it really is such a huge career. So you were a police reporter. Tell me about that. So tell me about 
did you think when you were growing up that you were going to be a writer? Well, what's growing up? I really didn't. I was a voracious reader from a young age, but I never thought about being a writer um, until I was about 19. And uh, at that point, I read a series of novels by Raymond Chandler, and they so struck me to the point that I said, I want to try to do this someday. So I was kind of late to coming to that conclusion, but maybe I was heading there all along. I don't really know. And did you grow up in L.A.? No, I actually never set foot in L.A. till I was 30 years old. Oh. Um, I, most, I wasn't born there, but I mostly grew up in Florida, state of Florida. Right, okay. Uh, Americans move around a lot, don't they? Yeah, I think that's why as a voracious reader, I was changing schools a lot when I was a kid. Um, you know, in one stretch, I went. I, my family didn't move too much, but in one stretch, I went to four schools in uh, four years, and that was really a point where I kind of disappeared into reading, you know, yeah. because it almost didn't seem worth it to try to fit in when I thought it was temporary. Do you know, that is such a common thread. I've spoken to so many writers. I think I've spoken to over 200 writers in the last couple of years. And if there's one thread that comes out, well, there's probably two. One is they're all great readers. And the other one is that they came to reading, not necessarily, it's not a traumatic experience or anything like that, but because of an isolation, because they were in a rural community, because, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't connect with other people at their school, whatever it was, reading was a solace for them. Yeah, also what helped me was my mother read a lot. She was yeah. always reading, like, um, you know, she's passed a long time ago, but in my vision and memories of her, she's holding books, mm. you know. So I, and that was kind of passed on to me. I read, she liked crime novels and so forth. And I started reading some of them and that helped set me down this path. And so you, you were a journalist for a while. Did you study journalism and move into that? Or were you one of those, you know, interns that just went in and started to write? No, it was, it was a part of a plan. I mean, I hesitate to say word plan. It was more like a hope, but um, when I, had that moment when I was 19 that I wanted to do this. I had discussions with my parents about it. And I very specifically wanted to write crime novels, not just I want to be a writer. And um, it was my father who suggested that I go into journalism, that I get a journalism degree, and that I get a press pass, and that I get into police stations, and I get into courtrooms, and, and I see the world I want to write about. And so that's, so I went into journalism, and I was a journalist for 14 years, but all along, to me, it was a stage. You know, I was staging myself to start writing um, novels. Oh, that's so interesting because I've never spoken to anyone where it's been that way around. Like I've spoken to people like Michael Robotham, for instance, who was a journalist, but then they came to writing, not that they were there really doing the study for eventually writing. Yeah, I'm, obviously I knew lots of journalists because I was one and some of them went on to write books and so forth, but it was always a secondary, like, oh, I think I'm going to write a book now or I'm, yeah. I'm heading in that direction or I'm frustrated or whatever. But they didn't go into it from day one thinking mm. this is just a stop on the way to somewhere else, hopefully. 14 years is a, a commitment in terms of experience, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was the other thing that my father thought, like, you know, you want to write books, but can you write books? Will you ever be in a position um, and have that skill or that craft? And just in case it doesn't work out, this is a pretty, you could have a pretty interesting job, which was the case. So I, I did it for 14 years. I didn't have to. I had a big overlap of about four years while I was publishing books. Mm. And the, the dilemma I faced during those years was 
if I leave to just concentrate on my books, what about my access? Well, um, a lot of what was going into my books was fed by what I was seeing and learning as a journalist. What happens if you cut that off? And so mm -hmm. that dilemma carried on and on for a few years till finally what happened was I took a little sabbatical. I took six months off to write a book, and I saw the improvement was great when I had a single focus. Because prior to that, I'm being a newspaper by newspaper man by day, and then at night, I'm writing when I'm semi-exhausted. Mm -hmm. And you're splitting your focus as a writer, so it might be different if I was like driving a cab or something during the day, but not having to be creative. So anyway, I, after that sabbatical, the writing was on the wall. I knew that if I want to be the best novelist I can be, I had to make that my sole uh, focus. Mm -hmm. And so that was the end of my journalism career. Um, so I, there's a couple of things I want to touch on then. The difference between short form and long form. Did you find that challenging? Like, did you find short form more challenging or long form more challenging? In terms of writing fiction? No, in terms of being a journalist oh, and taking um, that to a they're, novel. They're quite different um, they animals to me. Uh, the, the main thing is the interior thought. You know, um, I did lots of magazine stories and features on that, you know, touched on crime or, or uh, people in law enforcement and so forth. But ultimately, you can't get inside their heads. You can only report what they're, they've told you they're thinking about or have thought about. And that to me is, you know, the wonder and fantastic um, attributes of fiction is that you're inside people's heads and you're seeing the world through their eyes. And you can't really ultimately touch that as a journalist. And so to me, that's why I never looked back. Mm. Um, so the stories and the incidences that you would have seen, I mean, you know, tell me what crime was like back then in L.A. Well, I, I first started in where I grew up in South Florida, and that was during the, the all-raging um, drug yeah, infa wow. infatuation with my country, and which led to lots of crime, lots of violent crime. And so I worked there as a journalist covering crime, and then I moved to Los Angeles, which is also a hot And why did you crime. move? Um, I had been writing, trying to write novels. Um, you know, um, ever since I graduated from university and went into working in a newspaper, I was always writing at night, you know, trying to, you know, perfect my craft and trying to get better at it. And I had written two novels set in South Florida that I never sent out. No one's ever read them other than me. And they were just not good enough. You know, the only the little moment of hope I had was that the second one was better than the first. So I was getting better. But That's I, cool practice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I don't look at it as all oh, those years of, mm. of drudgery. It was years of discovery and, mm. and seeing yourself getting better. In fact, improvement was more exponential than it is mm. afterwards. And um, But I reached this point that, you know, I had made a deal with my wife. We put off having a family. And I said, I have to work at, you know, the newspaper by day, but I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Um, let me have four nights a week and one weekend day to write my books, and we'll see what happens. And then that was getting to be pretty long. We were into like eight or nine years of doing that with no nothing to show for it um, other than me saying, hey, I'm getting better at it. Um, but so we reached the point that we thought I was turning 30, 
And I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one more shot, one more book. Um, but before I do that, I want to shake up everything in my life. I was working for my hometown newspaper, so I was very comfortable. And um, I had been involved in some pretty major stories, so I was getting a good reputation where I was getting inquiries about uh, changing and moving to a, a bigger paper. And so I, I decided to pursue that. I ended up in Los Angeles, 3,000 miles away. So that's, that's a pretty good shakeup in your life. Mm -hmm. And it was also the place where the people, the writers who most influenced me were from. So I, there was something about going to where Raymond Chandler had written and Ross MacDonald and Joseph Wambau that really intrigued me. So we moved and uh, I tried what, what I told my wife would be the last swing at a novel and that ended up being the first Harry Bosch novel that got, and the first book I got published. Mm. And how did that happen? How did you get that published? Well, I just, you know, this was pre-internet. I'm really dating myself here. Yeah. Um, you know, this <laughs> well, I think like, you dated yourself by writing, what, 33 novels? Yeah. <laughs> That's already happened. We've declared that. Tell so, me. so it was 1990. I had finished this third book, and unlike my view of the first two, I said, this, this one cuts it. This one should be published. I think, you know, I'm a voracious reader. I know what's out there, and I think this um, stacks up. And so, you know, I just went to a, a store and bought, like, it's called the Writer's Guide. And, you know, it listed agents. You know, this is all online now, I assume. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, so I, I sent out letters and ch sample chapters to 12 agents and then sat back and waited. And weeks and months went by. And finally, uh, it was weird. I didn't hear anything for months. And then in the space of three days, I heard back from four agents, uh, two passing, one saying, I'd like to read more chapters, and one saying, I'll take you on. Yeah. And while I was considering that, a, a fifth agent called me. And, and it was on the a, phone? Yeah, he called, <laughs> called me, and it was a Saturday, too. Yeah. So, which is unusual, yeah. And I, he later communicated to me that he had been late trying to get some people who had submitted to him, so he never bothered responding with letters. If he wanted to represent someone, he would call them right away to get in there as soon as possible. And I went with him. I, I like that story, you know. Are um, you still with him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah. And so from there, you know, it was on him, and, and he uh, took um, a few months and got it sold. And I'm still with the same publisher as well. Yeah. I was That's, lucky because I, you know, he called me. I said, okay, I'm in. Yeah. I didn't know a whole lot about him. I picked him because a writer that I um, really um, revered and learned from, it was his agent. He had one time dedicated a book, so I got his name out of that. Um, and, and what was lucky about it was he right away wasn't interested in the big hit. Let's get as much money for this book as possible. He said, let's not get greedy because if you get paid a lot of money for a good book and it doesn't work, it's going to be really hard to sell a second. So let's have a long-term view of your career. I so agree with that. It is something that, you know, I did a little bit of agenting earlier on in my career. And if a person was young and that they wanted to, their aspiration was to be a full-time writer right. then you really went in cautiously because it was the beginning of their career it was beginning to learn and grow and develop and you wanted a publisher and, a, and an agent who could do that rather than go for the big bucks initially and then really that could very much set you up for failure yeah and i had a job i had a very interesting yeah. job as a reporter to for a major 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your newspaper, it was at the time, actually, it was the highest circulation newspaper in my country. So, you know, I was pretty happy where I was. So I wasn't like, hey, I got to get out of a job. Get me as much money as you can. I, I bought into his long-term philosophy and, you know, and it worked out about, I, I quit being um, a two-job person about four books in. Mm. So. so the first book, um, I remember reading it, the first Harry Bosch, what was it called, The Black Echo? Yes. Is that right? 1992. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking about why I love them, why you hooked me in from page one. Is it character? Is it character development? I mean, why do we like Harry so much? Well, I hope it is. I mean, I think, you know plotting and um, who done it and all that is all really important but I think it's really all hangs on character and that's what I had learned as um, a reader who wanted to be a writer I think that's what I had learned through the first two efforts I made um, you know so when it it came to that book that became my first published book I my whole philosophy was to throw everything in but the kitchen sink in terms of character build as much stuff so that if you get lucky and they want another book or they want two books there's already all the seeds are already here and because those seeds would also plant intrigue in the reader um they would connect the reader uh in terms of like what makes this guy tick what where he came from how do you overcome that trauma etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so, what makes us read you know why i mean i'm i'm a I'm a huge crime reader, um, and but also I'm I'm a scaredy cat. So I mean, violence I find really confronting. I can do gun violence more than I can do knife violence. That's just too much for me. Um, yet I am really drawn to reading a crime book on the weekend. Why do you think that is? Why are we like that? There's so many uh, boy. There's so many answers to that. You know, they they spring from wanting to see how smart you are in, in solving a crime, you know, riding with the uh, detectives, trying to come to it before they do. Well, that's not me because I never guess yeah. it. All right, okay, so or what's the other one? <laughs> the author. But, I mean, I think more importantly, I think we're um, – the crime novel generally has very high stakes compared to other kinds of novels. You know, there's there's elements of good and evil, the battle of good and evil. Will it will good triumph over evil and so forth? So yes, you, so you yeah, have all those nice. kind of things, and you want to connect with somebody who's who's in the middle of those high stakes. And I think it's, I think really think there's something in there about a reflection upon ourselves um, when we go into these books. You know, often in these books, people are called upon 
to step up in very difficult circumstances. And we all wonder how we would be, I think, in if those circumstances were real and they included us. Would we step up or would we shrink back? And obviously in these books, they're about people that step up. Yeah. And that's where we all want to be. And I think these kind of books reinforce that idea about ourselves. And what does it say about the writer? That's the exact same thing. I mean, I write the way I read. I write books that have things in them that I love to come across when I'm reading. And uh, I think there's there you could almost attribute the same thing to the writer. We're writing about how we hope we would act if the chips were down and the stress were up and the stakes were high. Would we step up or would we shrink back? That's interesting then because I feel that all your main characters have... I mean, they're not. Uh, they don't. They're not narcissists. They're not full of themselves, if you like. I don't know if do you use that term. Where? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're not that. They're usually laconic people that are there just to do a good job. So that's a reflection of you. Do you think? Well, I do love writing about people that are good at what they do. And, yeah. you know, and, and they're not braggy good at what they do. No, I mean, especially in, in police work and detective work, that's part of the noble bargain that I think the real, that attracts me to the genre and, and made, especially when I was a reporter and I would see um, the good and bad in police departments. Um, you know, you take on this job that takes you into human darkness. You see the worst that people do to each other. And it, it can get inside you and it can metastasize and become a cancer. And yet you do it. You take that on. Yeah, I want to do this. Um, and uh, to me, that takes a special breed of person. And, when, and then if you add their skill, they're really good at this. That is so attractive to me in terms of just life, but also as a writer. I want to yeah. explore that. You know, and obviously I don't have a job where um, there's danger and all this kind of stuff. But I, I like the idea that I do my job well because I like to write about people who do their jobs well. Yeah. Um, I, I chatted with Lee Child. I think it was about a year ago now. And one of the things he said to me, because I don't know, he's probably up to as many books as you, but every time he sits down to write a book, it's difficult. It's like the first time you know, that his craft, even though he's honed his craft and mastered his craft, you've still got to sit down. There's a discipline of writing and it really doesn't get easier. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, to to a great degree I do. Um, that What you just said, that sentence, it really doesn't get easier. I would agree with that. Some things are there for you um, and they are easy, but they can make... Um, other stuff harder you know yeah. I don't want to speak for Lee but he's got Reacher he's yeah. got that guy he's all set up yeah. but that also makes it hard so what do you say about Reacher so it's not a book that's static from the you know static from book to book so so on one hand oh man he's got Reacher and people want to read about Reacher and then on the other hand oh man he's got Reacher and he has to figure out how to re retool him and resell him and reconnect him to the reader every single time and, you know, to an extent, that's what I have with Bosch. Yeah. I, I have a few other characters. You do. Who else have you got? You've got Bosch. You've got the character in this book. Um, Ballard. Um, she's, I've only been writing about her for the last two or three years. 
so she's fresh and new. And um, I remember real. when she was introduced. Was she a sub character in one of the books? No, she actually blew out the door Dude. in her own book, oh, uh, okay. The Late right. Show, and then I folded her into the Bosch narrative. Yep. Um, do you have a favorite character? That you like writing? Well, I, you know, my my writing history and life is all wrapped around Harry Bosch. I feel that he's the center of the wheel, and these other characters that I come up with, they're all spokes on that wheel. Yeah. So, you know, in the long run, it's it's obviously Harry Bosch, but in the short run, uh, Ballard was inspired by a real detective I know, and she helps me with the books, and and th- which is a great aid. You know, we were talking about how it doesn't get easier. Bosch came from many different directions. Um, the only character I've ever written about that is a single source inspiration is Ballard. And, and so I've been writing about her the last three books. And so she's kind of like the apple of my eye at the moment. Yeah, but I think nice. in the long run, when it's all said and done, Bosch will always be the center of the wheel for me. Yeah. Who's she based on? Is she based on somebody you know? Yeah, yeah. She's based on a real homicide detective named yeah. Mitzi Roberts with the LAPD. And I've known her for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. She's helped me with my Bosch books. And I met her through uh, her partner. She was partnered with a guy who had been helping me for many years. And so I got to know her. And uh, she and her partner are both consultants on my TV show based on Bosch. So she's totally involved in what I've been doing as a writer. And just in casual conversation about three or four years ago, she mentioned that early in her career she worked on the midnight shift as a detective and how different it was and the variety of stuff you get. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I thought, well, I've been writing about a guy who, you know, does murder, murder, murder. That's all he investigates. And, you know, that's high stakes, but at the same time, I'd like to do something different. And when you're on the late show, as the nickname for the midnight shift, you know, you encounter everything from murder to lost dogs. And that variety, plus knowing her, and I know her as a very relentless detective. She solved some of the biggest cases in recent L.A. history, made me say, I want to write about someone on the late show and I want to base that someone on her and that's what that's where uh, Ballard came from and that's why it's believable isn't it like you know um there's that research that comes with it and you know I mean what makes these books so popular and I'm always asking myself because that's my business right like why am I loving this you know why am I going to recommend it but I do think craft is very very important but I also think the integrity of the story is really important. And that's when they come together, that's magic, isn't it? That's when you get a good book. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I'm in this position where um, the person helping me with this character um, has basically only has one rule to helping me, and that is don't go off into stuff that's not believable. And I will help you, and I'll vet. You send me chapters as you write them, and I'll tell you what you got right, what you got wrong, and where I think it could be better. And that's what she's done. So it, it has a... I used to say I want my books to have a veneer of accuracy so yes. the reader thinks this is how it is. But with the Ballard books, it really is how it is. And she won't let me stray across mm-hmm. lines that, to her are unbelievable because people know she's, especially within that department, yeah. people know she's the inspiration for these books. So she doesn't want them reading the books and then coming back to her and saying, oh, that stuff would never happen. Yeah. So um, it's been an interesting relationship. And I think the books that have come out of it 
um, have been pretty cool. I like them. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're very good. Um, okay, so talk to me about working on TV or film versus writing a book. I mean, firstly, we're dealing with, what, 50,000 less words? I mean, how does... Uh, more than that, I think. <laughs> more than that? Yeah, I mean, that goes back to your first question about long form versus short form. Uh, you going from, uh, you know, I'm an old dog in the world of uh, books and fiction, and, you know, 20 some years into my career, I get asked to be involved in the show and to write scripts. And it's like uh, more than a third of what I have as a book writer, interior thought goes out the window. You, you know, that's not in a script what someone's thinking. You never even use those words. Um, so it's all about dialogue. Did you find that challenging? Action. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I had to kind of relearn. Luckily, you know, it's, I'm not alone. It's they, yeah. It's they, have, they the put together a writing room, and so there's six other writers in that room, and they were all seasoned television writers. They've been on some really good shows, and uh, you know, so they're all pros at it. And you know, they don't even know the luxury of being a book writer, where you can just drop into somebody's head and say what how they're looking at the world. Um, so that was, it was a good training ground and it was helpful. Um, when you write scripts on TV, they get passed around all the other writers and, you know, you get notes and thoughts and all that. So it was a, it was like jumping into an ice cold swimming pool, but, you know, eventually you, you're, you, you know, acclimate to it. And, and now I'm doing it pretty, pretty often now. And are you enjoying it? I do. I do. Yeah. So I think it's a good counterpoint to, uh, what I do as a book writer, and it's also influenced the books because up until the show, the Bosch books were generally completely narrated through his mind, through his eyes, and you can't do that on a show. You can't have the act, the Bosch, you can't have him in every scene, no. so that we had to spread the story out and give other characters lives, and that's come back into my books where I have Bosch and Bowery, so, so half the book is through her eyes, and then you come back to his eyes, and so I think that's an influence that came from the show. I think also it must because writing is such a solitary occupation, right? You're right. in a room with a typewriter or a computer or whatever, and then you actually have to really change the way you work because now you're working with other people. Yeah, I think, you know, having going, it was an echo from when I was a journalist, and I was in, mm. um, you know, rooms with other journalists, and there was a lot of collegial joking and pranking and discussion about cultural things and you know uh, you know i i left that and was in a room by myself when i started writing books full time and then all these years later to come into a office where you know there's a row of six or seven yeah. offices and then from 10 to 2 every day we sit in a room together or sit around a table and hash things out it was great. It was a great antidote to uh, what I to my solitariness uh, for the 20 years before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael Connolly, I was going to say Michael Bosch, but I just realised that that isn't you. Um, uh, you're not Harry Bosch at all. But Michael Connolly, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.